episode 29 uh <laughs> as you can see we're doing this via zoom uh it's been a while since i've done one of these so i've kind of been fanning about for the last 10 minutes trying to remember what i've got to do and stuff like that again uh back with Hi. mob stories part two uh the reason that we're doing this via zoom is partly because i kind of needed to test this setup for something that I'm doing unrelated to the podcast in a week's time. And it's not been great weather. <laughs> I don't fancy my garage door being blown off or something at the moment. So we're here again, though. Uh, we've improvised, uh, adapted, and overcame the situation. Uh, we are doing, as we promised on the first part of this series, uh, going into depth into specific topics, into the mob and the media surrounding it. Uh, obviously, as you can see, actually... I, I'm kind of I'm fooling myself here because I'm seeing us both on the screen at the same time but I'm realizing that it will still be multicam so like no one has seen you yet I'm joined again by Jamie if you want want to wave or something there we go join <laughs> <laughs> um, from my bed yeah <laughs> you know, <laughs> do you know what like that get sometimes when like I've only done two of these this being the second one in terms of like remote podcasts and Aye. when I start doing them, I'm like, this is going to be more complicated than just getting people in the room, switching the cameras on and then doing it like that. But yeah. it's kind of pretty chill. I'm not going to lie. Like, the laptop's just chilling nah, in front of me. Chill. There's nothing to it. We know what we're doing nowadays. Yeah, you've, done, yeah. you've, done, you've done too many of these. I know, right? <laughs> I've been coming up on 30 episodes now. Where's the time gone? But, I know. Um, Crazy. Anyway, so we decided that we thought we'd... Considering this will be, uh, there'll be a hiatus on this series because we're taking a four-week break over Christmas and all that kind of stuff. We thought we would kind of keep it simple uh, and go with mob movies today, and maybe not just mob movies, but like big things around the mob in terms of TV series, uh, movies, and so on and so forth. Uh, so yeah. I don't really have like any kind of script in my mind. Uh, I suppose we'll just kind of start it off on when was like the first time we seen like a a mob related film and like what age were we and did that just like kind of hook line and sinker us into watching like the genre of movie slash media documentaries all the other stuff that kind of comes with it to the point of where we're speaking about it on the internet now <laughs> yeah aye it's one of them topics that I think everybody sort of likes a mob film but um, it just kind of depends on how far you go into it like if you go it's like a rabbit hole mm. once you watch one you're gonna keep one you want to watch every single other one that's out so that was kind of what happened with me. Like, I think the first one that I watched was Goodfellas, and it was on Sky Movies. I hadn't heard nothing about it uh, beforehand, mm-hmm. and it wasn't even that long ago. It was probably 2013, 14, so, like, you know, under 10 years ago. Uh, I, I remember kind of just being kind of enthralled by it in terms of how, like, the story was going. And then, you know, not even aware that it was, like, a true story or a true-ish story at the time, because obviously, like, the movies are going to, like exaggerate things and you know hollywood yeah. and all that kind of stuff yeah uh, and that kind of got me going down the rabbit hole of like trying to find out as much information on like the topic and the time period and that is physically possible so mm-hmm. uh I, I did come across the godfather when i was younger uh but if anyone has watched the godfather they'll know that these films are about two and a half three hours long a piece and there's three of them um so I did eventually get around to like going around to them because I remember like seeing it maybe when I was like eleven, not the whole film or that, but seeing it on the TV and thinking, you know, this is boring and stuff like that. But like obviously, like 
I'm like immature at that point. Like I'm not actually investing yeah. in kind of like storylines and you know what what the meaning yeah. of that uh, piece of art is. But like Goodfellas for me is is probably if not the most famous mob film of all time, but at least one of them to say the least is in the top three for sure. Uh, but that, like I said previously, that inspired me to kind of start like reading the books and that, and actually hearing from the people that you know were actually because the books linked to the film in the sense of the person was in these scenarios, then talked to Nicholas Pileggi, uh for Goodfellas and yeah. Casino example, uh, that yeah. then became these blockbuster Hollywood films from Martin Scorsese, right? And Scorsese always comes up with like a good. Um, people always ask him why do you focus so heavily on this genre of film because most of his films are related to uh, the mob Cosa Nostra and all that and he yeah. was saying like th this is where I grew up you know like I'm someone that's born and bred in New York City so I was seeing this whilst you know yeah. just be going through my life and becoming a director yeah, yeah. making movies with my friends and stuff like that um, Yeah. another thing is I watched Gotti last night uh, I remember we talked about this uh, when we were talking about John Gotti in the the first part. You were telling me to watch because I was like, I don't want to watch the Gotti film with John Travolta in it, which I think is a, you know, I think is a reasonable, <laughs> a reasonable uh, uh, thought. And you were saying that there had been a previous uh, Gotti film made in nineteen ninety six. So I, I, yeah. I watched that uh, last night, and I was just saying to you just before we came on that I was finding it funny that I, like it's basically three quarters of the Sopranos cast is in this film. Right? I, uh, it's I, not a bad thing at all, but no, no, no. It was around about. I mean, I think you know. It's, I think the Sopranos came out. What was it? Nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, that's when it started. Yeah. Was it? Mm -hmm. Aye. So that sort of cast was sort of coming. Well, sort of. Well, there was from the early 90s and stuff like that that was in mob movies like what mob movies like Goodfellas Casino and stuff like that you know and then it sort of came into like the later 90s you know 96 up to 99 stuff like that so that sort of actors were all sort of they, they just fit that role perfectly yeah and it's quite and um, it's quite interesting where uh you know, we talk about people hanging about in the same crowds in the mob and names constantly coming up, and it's almost translated into like the actor side of it as well because it is a very yeah. um, niche kind of market that they had for like actors and mob stuff. Like you'll see people in multiple productions, films, TV series to do with uh, that life that are just so perfect in that role and that profile. Uh, considering yeah. like that, uh, a lot of these people will probably be. American Italian and that themselves, so it's uh, authentic. Um, that that they keep them uh, close together because the guy that uh, I noticed as well was the the guy that played Billy Bats as well. And Goodfellas is in the Gotti film also. Uh, yeah, Vincent. Yeah, I think he's he's been dead yeah. for a few years now. Isn't he? he died of heart yeah, heart, he it? died sadly. He was an absolute unbelievable actor. I mean, and it you know the crazy the crazy thing about like, like you know when you get these sort of actors like you know like Joe Pesci and De Niro and all that guys when they're when they're playing mobsters though I mean yeah okay they're playing them in different movies but they never ever feel like the same person like they're always kind of like you know like maybe he was Billy Bats and Goodfellas right yeah. but see like in Gisco, he was a totally different guy and you sort of got a different vibe from him and then when he was in The Sopranos he was even you know it was again he sort of came on in, in, into this different sort of role and that's obviously their job but it's just amazing the way they did it and it's hard to sort of get actors to be as good as them yeah. to do it like 
you made a mob movie now, you know, it's not it's not going to feel as good as it did back then because of the guys that, you know, that were in it that are sadly not here anymore. I was just about to say as well, like, 90s, probably 80s as well, but we'll say 90s was probably a golden decade for films in general, I think, maybe not just mob oh, films. Yeah. But, like, if you think of, like, the top three, four, um, obviously mm. excluding The Godfather, because The Godfather probably is in a league of its own somewhere, but, you know, you've got Goodfellas, <laughs> Casino, um, there's another one that I'm trying to think of that's uh, Gotti, obviously, that I, I watched last night, but there's another one that just slips my mind, for example. But even, like, The Sopranos, right, It's even though it carried on until, like, 2007, it originated in the 90s, you know? And I think yeah. Yeah. it was. it's kind of interesting because I think that, just to go back to what we were talking about on, on part one of this, is when we were talking about Gotti and that era kind of not being the end, but the end of that way of um, operating, in that way, uh, that way of life was kind of coming to an end through like Gotti getting the jail and stuff like that in like the late eighties. So the nineties was yeah. kind of like the the end, not the end, because obviously we did discuss like, and you you've actually sent me a few articles of like uh, people in Italy and stuff like that and families in Italy getting yeah. being done for crazy stuff. So mm-hmm. obviously it's still alive in some kind of way or form in modern day, mm-hmm. but. The cool thing about the Gotti movie is that the only one you watched last night was the fact that I was actually really surprised when I went and actually looked up the real people mm-hmm. that was based around in that, and um, they look real close to the people that was the real yeah, actual no, people. Yeah, that's why I love that movie so much because they actually really tried to get people that matched that you know the real person. You know, the guy that plays Sam Gravano looked like Sammy Gravano yeah. did back then. You really know, the guy got as well. That- that character almost yeah. made me feel uncomfortable, right? But Sammy Gravano was yeah. that kind of uh, loose cannon type person, right? Obviously, maybe not now, like older in life and mellowed and stuff like that. But whilst that was going on in that life, and it is, I think that's kind of a testament to like people that are great at acting. Like, there's there's parts mm-hmm. of like Goodfellas where like Joe Pesci makes me proper terrified of him and makes me think that he's a yeah. piece of shit as a person. You know what I mean? But like, it's. This, I th- I th- Tell you one thing about that guy. You know that the guy that that was actually about. Mm-hmm. Good for, like, Normally they sort of like you know umph it up in a movie and to sort of like make it more dramatic and that. They actually toned Goodfellas down. Yeah, that's how nuts. They you know the guy that Joe Pesci plays. Yeah, Tommy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had the actual. You know that like the loose cannon sort of like absolute nut job sort of personality, right? Mm-hmm. But he was actually like over six foot something. You know, Pesci's only little. Yeah, yeah. But Tommy, he was a big guy and he was even worse than Tommy was in the film. No. He was actually worse than that. So if you can imagine how nuts that guy actually was. Even with De Niro's character, right? De Niro's character kind of comes across as um, a very uh, calculated individual and stuff like that. Where is when I was reading Wise Guy, the book, it says about uh, Jimmy Burke that... He was also a loose cannon. Like uh, he, I think he was an orphan. Oh, I, and uh, yeah. I think I told this story last time, but we'll just go over it again for uh, for the sake of it. But um, uh, a mother, a single mother, came to him because obviously he had many businesses and stuff like that. So I would imagine it was related to something like that. And saying that her son was like, you know, just kind of abandoned her. Really, like, um, uh, oh, my internet connection's unstable, but it's not cut off, so I think we're okay. <laughs> um, uh, when. <laughs> Uh, he heard about this. Uh, he ended up killing the son because he hated like 
kids not appreciating their elders and their parents and stuff like that because of what happened to him of being an orphan and being in an orphanage and stuff like that. And obviously, like yeah. in the film, you would never guess that from like the way that De Niro's character is portrayed in that film, which kind of like maybe not more at the end though. Yeah, well, exactly. Because so the, then he becomes a bit absolutely Yeah, See that that was a problem with Gozan Oster back then. Well, as in like when it got to the eighties and stuff, because it was like the Wild West, like I was saying before. See, guys like Jimmy Burke, you know, like actual got like mobsters from the fifties and that they should they would never have done, even thought of doing that. Yeah, what what did like kind of change that as like the decades went on because it obviously did seem to get a bit more gung-ho when we're going to the 70s and the 80s in yeah. terms of these films have a common theme yeah. of where as it comes towards the end everything just crumbles down and people are yeah. eating each other alive basically by the end of it yeah i mean i think i actually think that all this kind of sort of happened because there was in the mob right it was a secret society so like it was like for almost forbidden to sort of like even make on that you were anywhere near that life. Do you know what I mean? Like it was like you you aren't supposed to tell anyone anything. But these guys, when it came to like the seventies and all that, like they had been like on top for like a long time. You know, as a built in Las Vegas, they were dominating America. Obviously, New York was theirs. They owned they owned everything. I mean, if you think about it, if you can do all of this sort of stuff and you get up the ranks in the mafia. You get made and sort of like you become untouchable to a sense where you think, well, I'm a made guy. Nobody can touch me now. And that is literally how they think. But the way that it changed from back in like, you know, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s and stuff was that they had respect and they had honour. And it just sort of, it sort of started to disappear a little bit in the 70s and 80s. And they thought, well, we're just going to kill whoever we want to kill, leave bodies all over the place. And I mean, it wasn't even the mafia, just the mafia, though. I mean, New York itself in the 70s and 80s was like the Wild West. Yeah. And, I mean, the mafia obviously did a lot of that too, but, and they were, and they were killing their own people, but they, they, did, they did actually kill civilians, which is forbid, forbidden to do. There were some civilians that did, that did die for, you know, stupid reasons guys like Roy DeMeo do you know what I mean like just like off the handle the guys and he was nuts and um, see if like that was back in the day they wouldn't have lasted a bang because mm. you can't have guys like guys like that That they weren't supposed to be anywhere near the mob like they were I mean the older guys the old school guys they would have seen them as absolute nuts yeah like Ward 4 kind of thing you know what I mean like absolutely off the head like so um, yeah, they wouldn't have survived back in the day and things just changed. They became untouchable and there was more nutcases in the mafia and it just kept snowballing, really. Do you think drugs... If he like, can do it, I can do it. You know what I mean? That sort of thing. Do you think drugs had a big part to play in the kind of change of mentality and everyone out for themselves kind of idea rather than the whole uh, the way of life is the most important thing and the families have got to survive and all that? It became more of like an individual thing, like... Uh, Gotti and these type of people became thought they became bigger than the actual kind of organization itself. One hundred percent, drugs was a big, big problem, especially, especially in the eighties. I mean, Jesus, New York City was like you know, 
it, it was like in the easiest play. I mean, it didn't matter who you were or what you did. You could score like that. I mean, you, if you wanted something and you had money, you could get anything you wanted. Drugs played a big part and it was a no-no in the mob, but they were still all doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there might have been a family that, you know, kept their sort of causing all sorts of ways and didn't do it, but there was, like most of them did do it. Um, and the thing was, you were meant to die. That's a that's a death penalty if if you get caught doing that, either doing it or selling it. Especially like when I watched Gotti last night, you can definitely tell that there's a, a divide between generations of the um, organised crime, like where uh, Gotti has that guy taken out that's a, a made guy under a, um, another family, and his boss comes into the, the bar and stuff like that, and is like, because pretty much he kind of saved him in that instance because there's a part where uh, the guy that plays Junior Soprano and that is like if it was my call I'd have him off and stuff like that and like they were all saying that they would off him but like his um, like boss yeah. basically saved him in that respect which probably didn't help in any way shape or form in terms of how things ended up going for them anyway but yeah, I, I think what you're saying is correct in the sense of I don't know if this is just like a general thing in terms of there's been a loss of respect as decades have went on anyway. Like it feels like we've maybe um, loosened, uh, what's the word, not rules, but like, you know, boundaries and stuff like that, uh, just for yeah. like as a society. And obviously some of that's good because some of those things were back then were probably, you know, borderline authoritarian and stuff like that. But this mm-hmm. other kind of side of that, the consequences that, you know, bad things will happen because people don't like fear consequences or don't have that kind of uh, respect anymore for other people and whatnot and I know that we're kind of focusing on the mob right now but I think that's something that probably could be applied to just everyday things you know it's everywhere Ryan I mean I mean I mean you look these days kids these days I mean you could be sitting with your granny and granddad right you could be sitting in the living room and they're all stuck on their phones and it's yeah. like you're not going to have them for that much longer. Do you know what I mean? Talk to them and it annoys me a little bit. Um, there's just no respect these days and, it, and it's rubbed off all over the place. It's mm-hmm. not just, you know, it wasn't just in the mafia, but that was, but it's annoying. It's annoying to see and you can sort of see where the it went wrong in the sort of late 70s, 80s. Yeah. But that thing you were talking about with uh, Gotti getting a, a ball again from his boss, that guy was uh, Neil Delacroach. That guy was um, got his mentor pretty much, and he was underboss mm-hmm. to the uh, Gambino crime family when he when he was alive and that. And um, what happened was they had, they had a contract to go and kill someone for um, kidnapping Carlo Gambino's grandson, well nephew, sorry, it was one not his grandson, and um, they were wanting like ransom sort of thing they were like well you give us like 300 grand and we'll give it back mm-hmm. and Carla was like no <laughs> I ain't giving you the money for him so you know and, the, and he thought well they're not going to have the balls to kill my nephew right and they did yeah they ended up killing him so guy got the contract to go and kill the guy that did it he got and he ended up get killing the wrong guy but it wasn't guy that killed him it was a, a guy that was with him and that guy was a mate guy but he was in Paul Castellano's crew mm-hmm. And he was made, and that's why he got he got a bollocking for killing that guy because he messed up. Yeah. And uh, Neil Delacroix saved Gotti's life for that because, in the rules, Gotti should have went should've for that. Went, yeah. And I suppose, like, yeah, 
like we've said, they, there was like a father-son kind of relationship kind of going on there between those two. Um, yeah. But at the same time, do you think that kind of contributed to Gotti's kind of carefree confidence in the end, even though, like, it, it, I guess in that instance it was um, a mistake from his point of view? He, obviously, it's a horrid thing that, like, anyone, like, was killed. But in terms of, mm-hmm. like, inside the organized crime the way that they say it like he made a mistake and that you should get off of that but do you think that kind of leniency ended up probably uh screwing them over in the end in terms of like what got he actually became and then thinking oh well well i didn't suffer anything for that so then i'll just take out paul castellano in the middle of sparks restaurant you know yeah well there's a lot of guys that had mentors in the mafia right Remember I was talking about Sammy, Sammy Gravano and he had a guy called uh, Taro. He was his sort of mentor. You know, he was sort of... I mean, Gotti had another mentor before. can't remember his name. He was a big, uh, you know, enforcer and a mob and, and stuff. But Della Croach sort of took Gotti under his wing and that. And, but there was a lot, load of guys that had mentors, right? And they didn't turn out like Gotti did. Gotti just... You know how you get, like, the one guy at school which is a... He's just a dick, right? Yeah. Gotti was that guy. He was like, you know, I'm the untouchable and I'm the coolest guy and all the women love me. And he was right in every single, like everything he said, he was right in that sense, right? I mean, he just had that sort of thing where when he walked into a restaurant, everybody turned around to look at him. Mm. He just had that sort of aura about him and he knew it. And that's why he was the way he was. And yeah, that certainly didn't help the way it turned out, did it? No, definitely not. Um, and he had big balls. I'll give him that. He had big balls. Yeah. To take out cost. Yeah, I, I suppose yeah. that that's um, another difference that happened, right? It be, it became less uh, group orientated and it became more ambitions from an individual point of view, right? Because the reason yeah. he took out Castellano so that he could take that position or, you know, could move further up the chain to get closer to that yeah. position at the very least and he ended up, you know, becoming it anyway. But um like we were saying, the respect back in the day was like, you know, it's for the family. It was very focused on the family where it's later down the line it probably became more about individuals than Gambino, uh Genovese, Lucchese, all these kind of different families that were in the city at the time. It became a more about yeah. individuals like Roy DeMeo and Sammy Gravano and John Gotti and many more that we can go on about. Um, but like an, yeah. a, another thing that I find very interesting about films is that you would th- it's a bit, not back to front, but it's a bit switched around. Like when I watch Goodfellas, right, I see that as like a more kind of glamorous tint on what mob life is. But I have to remember as well that like, at the end when everything goes pear-shaped and everything goes tits up, for lack of a better term. Uh, at the end of it all, Henry Hill's life has been ruined from his own self-inflicted means as well, don't get me wrong. Like, um, yeah, yeah. Being involved with that, and obviously he was massively heavily into the drugs game, basically, and that's kind of what forced him to end up having to go to witness protection and stuff like that and uh, basically rat on everyone that he was associated with in that life to gain, not immunity, but like, yeah, what is protection, right? Immunity from prosecution, all this kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. And I have to remember to myself that that's just like low-level associate. 
association with like the families and stuff like that because Henry Hill was never a made guy. It couldn't be because he was uh, yeah. Irish uh, heritage and stuff like that. Whereas in films like Gotti and like proper made in the inner circle, it it does come across more. Uh, not I don't want to say authentic because I think both versions are authentic, but more gritty and more the serious element of. You know, this is probably a, a life that kind of consumes people that you would never want to be a part of in terms of how it ends up making people that are so close and family one minute instantly turn uh, turn on each other the next. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, like when it comes to like God, it really actually teaches you the ways of how running um, a cousin Oster family actually ticks a little bit, sort of shows you how they go about things and, and, and you know, you know, because at the start, Gotti, I, th- I think he was a main guy at the start of the film, but he wasn't like, he wasn't like a, I think he might have had his own crew. I'm not sure. And, well, he did have his own crew. He must have been a capo at that point then. But mm. um, it kind of shows you like, even like when you're a capo and you're running a crew, you're, you're not always, you're not rich. Yeah. Like, you're not making a lot of money. Like sometimes you're just not. And it's not until you sort of get on to like schemes or like, you know, you might, some guy might go, well, why don't you come into business and we'll do this, we'll do this in construction. Well, I've got this scheme going on. I've got that, you know, get involved in gambling, you know, sort of like games where it's like, you know, like illegal games, like, like, we'll maybe have like a club or something and they'll go downstairs and there'll be a room and they'll, you know, a smoky room and there'll be loads of guys playing and, you take a cut from that game, whatever. And um, so, like, you don't sort of get rich just because you're in the mafia. A lot of people sort of think that, but that's not the way it is. You sort of, in the film, you sort of see them sort of struggling and then, obviously, he gets, you know, much richer and stuff like that, nice house and all that. But, um, yeah, it's a misconception. I think a lot of people think that they're all rich. But, yeah, that, that movie really does sort of, show you the back you know the poor times and the rich times yeah that's that's a good movie i think as well like as we're talking about like the the changeover or the the change of attitude to how things were conducted in that over the decades i Mm -hmm. think it's interesting to see how that kind of trickles down into the movies as well from like for example the godfather trilogy to something like gotti or something like goodfellas casino and that where it's very more organized than the godfather obviously people get yeah. taken out and stuff like that but it's very more um you know things have had to go through processes and all been signed off and that where things are just happening left right and center in more uh recent films so i think it's kind of cool how it it reflects like the history or like the change um of like it how it was all kind of collapsing as the films went through the decades if that makes sense and like you said i don't yeah. think like a good mob movie could be made today in from that kind of time era just because <laughs> there's not a lot to go on these days like we've said that it probably yeah. still does exist but it's not something that's in um the mainstream because at one point it was pretty just acceptable to have it in the news and accept that it was something that was just part of life that it was there that you know when john god yeah. was coming out of court and stuff like that he probably had committed multiple felonies and stuff like that but you know yeah. because he wore the yeah, red yeah. suits and all that kind of stuff it was cool for him just to kind of get a good lawyer get back out again and get back to what he was doing you know but um uh according to he sold plumbing supplies yeah yeah <laughs> i've seen that in his uh his lawyer in the film yeah <laughs> yeah um it's, see that 
the, the, his actual lawyer, like say back then, I'm talking about now as well. Mm. There's lawyers and there's bad lawyers, and the bad lawyers are the lawyers you want because yeah. they are shit hot at what they do, mm-hmm. but they're also criminals. Yeah, so they're not like they haven't got any moral compass. They're doing what they're uh, no. they're good at what they practically do in the terms of defending someone whether they're guilty or not guilty but in terms yeah. of their, like, their conscious or their moral uh, compass behind defending someone does not exist so it's basically the highest bidder right a lot of guys i mean a lot of guys i mean you get these lawyers right and they're just as good as you know the best lawyers in new york city like like the top lawyer they're just as good but they're also criminals mm. so they're like they've probably be, probably been groomed maybe even by gordon Ostra, you know as a kid this kid's smart. Go put him through lawyer school. And they pay it. This guy becomes like incredible, an incredible lawyer. But he's also a criminal, so he will he will be the guy that, that will get them out of the shit. Do you know what I mean? It's, but they're also you know like they're they're paying off jurors and all that sort of stuff as well. You know that's all involved. It's it's crazy that um like this did like actually happen in terms of they would find people that were young that had skills in certain areas and pay for them to improve on that skills in the expectation that they would benefit the organization organized crime down the line like i find that really fascinating it's almost like a military tactic you know how like they always have accusations of different states putting other people to other countries to spy and stuff like that it's almost like that but for like uh personal gain if you know what i mean yeah well i mean the thing about thing about goes in Austria is they're smart mm. very very smart that's why they last so long you know I mean <laughs> the police had no idea like I'm talking about the authorities in, in New York and America they didn't know what goes in Austria was until like 1956 yeah and they had been in since 1900 yeah. 19, 1901 or something yeah, like yeah. something like that you know they were coming off the boat working doing things you know schemes and you know do whatever they did and uh you know if it was involved in you know cigarettes you know al- you know alcohol that sort of stuff and uh <laughs> yeah the police did had no idea that 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 was a thing until i think it was like 56 i think it was 56 and i was like Dick, and uh, they know like, i remember we mentioned before like wasn't someone ridiculous like 80 percent of the NYPD vice squad or something was on the payroll at one point of like organized crime. Like yeah. There was a big like investigation. Yeah, because I mean, think how much money you could give. I mean, I, I don't know a police officer that's rich. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. These guys, these guys make a lot of money very fast. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's when, when, you know, when drugs came into it, man, drugs. They a lot of guys were making such a little time. It would take you, you know, like say, like they make a hundred grand on you know one score or whatever it is they're doing. Because these guys are buying kilos at a time. They're not, they're not buying a couple of grams, yeah. you know, putting on the street. These guys are buying big. I mean, I'm talking about kilos. I'm talking about lorries full. Yeah, like trucks. Do you know what I mean? And uh, these guys are looking at it going, oh my god, this is a gold mine, but we can't touch it. And a lot of them caved. I think I think it like one thing that I always find constantly kind of takes like you know puts me back in my seat for a minute is how it like 
this was involved in every level that you could think of. Like, there wasn't a place in society it wasn't, you know what I mean? Like, any business, whether how big or small it was, there was influence, there was taking money from that. But, like, it was a very well-oiled machine in its prime, oh. at least, anyway, in terms of yeah. before, like, all the kind of recklessness started and the, you know, the drugs thing kind of happened and, you know, put everything in the yeah. air and probably was, like probably like a saving grace for an authorities in a way in terms of it mm -hmm. allowed them to actually make incisions into it and then end up, you know, kind of tearing it apart to an extent. I mean, the way I look at it is, like, do you know how you get all these, you know, obviously they were laundered in money, they were, you know, they are involved in construction, the cement business, you know, this was all, like, nobody could build a building in New York City without them saying so. And uh, I bet the government sat there and went, fuck, why do we not think of that? Mm. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Because yeah. if it's either going to be the mob or the government to do it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The government are just gangsters with badges. That's all they are. Pretty much, yeah. Guy, yeah. Guys in, that's why they always say guys in suits, right, when it comes to the government. And it's kind of crazy how we mentioned yeah. before that it was almost like this was a separate government in a way, but it just kind of <laughs> disagreed with what the actual like state was, you know, expected society to be, that that's probably what it's was their biggest problem with it. It's kind of like a religion if you look at, you look at it, you know, like, mm. and, or, you know, if their wife was having a baby or if you got the phone call to go and meet with, you know, your cop or the boss or whoever, you have to go. Yeah. You know what I mean? And these guys, they had their own, they had, they had their own, um, their law, they had their own law. You know, they had their own rules. You couldn't do this, you couldn't do that, you could do this, you could do that. I mean, the law of the United States of America, as far as they're concerned, had nothing, nothing to do with them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. like, you know what I mean? It was like... It uh, was something that had been transferred from one country to another in the sense of, um, even though it had been there already, probably the majority of people that ended up coming over was from like the whole Mussolini pushing it out of Italy, as we've mentioned before. Um, yeah. So obviously, it was two states that just had a problem with it in the end, right? Because, well, Mussolini wasn't a state, he was a dictatorship, but... Um, and then obviously came to America and then the American government found out about it and that's when they were like, we've got to crack down on this because they're doing what we're meant to be doing. <laughs> you know, like, uh, I pray, man. I... So, do you think that... Uh, see, when you see like things that kind of hint at this being like a glamorous life, do you think that's like a intentional thing done by Hollywood or do you think it's like a thing that's like part of the actual kind of story of it, that that's there for the actual massive fall to kind of show you the kind of yin yang of it all to be honest with you I think it's actually um, it is true when yeah. it was good it was brilliant mm -hmm. but when it was bad it was gone to the back of the head bad do you know yeah. what I mean or you know or the feds were up your ass or whatever, you know, that was, that was literally it. I mean, it's, there's no in between, you know what I mean? It's brilliant or it's not. And it was that whole sort of thing where it looked like an, a glamorous lifestyle. It was like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were, they were cutting about on, you know, boats. They were making, you know, millions of dollars. I mean, they were doing what you see on TV. Um, I mean, I guess, I mean, some things, I guess, were thingy for, you know, were sort of jumped up, if you will, sort of for 
um, for, like, for example, like a certain family, like for, for an example, the Bonanno family were, weren't actually sort of as well off as the rest of, like if you'd saw Donny Brasco, mm. you would know what I meant by that. Like yeah. if you uh, it felt a lot more working had, class, that film, didn't it? In terms of like, yeah, the scenery yeah. and that. Yeah. Because, because that was a Bonanno family. They weren't as well off as the Gambino family. They were still, I mean, they were still a major family in New York. There's no getting away from it. They were still rich. Mm-hmm. But the guys on the street that were out there working and stuff like that, they, they were not nowhere near, Yeah, you know, as success. It takes something, you know, like a break for them to sort of be able to, you know, like a, a big, like, remember when they went to, where was it they went to Miami, wasn't it? In the movie. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Remember when they... Oh, yeah, remember, and then open the club Sonny and, Black yeah. started getting, yeah, and then start. Remember, Sonny Black started. Uh, he was in charge for a while, mind, and then, mm-hmm. like they were, they were struggling for a long, long time, and then, and then it just took like one little break for them to sort of, you know, get it's up and going. So, yeah. yeah, it's not, it's not always as glamorous. As I think as well, like. um when you see things in films as well, like we were saying, there is like parts of it that are very kind of dramatized because it has to be right. Cause not a word by word story is going to be a Hollywood film. Most of the time, right? There's parts of it that make it that, and then they kind of work around that in the end and whatever it is, not just this kind of genre. Uh, but I do yeah. think that most of the films that I've seen connected to it, even if it is like a, a fictional thing, like, you know, the Sopranos is more like a, a fictional kind of mob thing. It's more like a like a producer's kind of idea, writer's kind of idea of what it is. But I think that's also something that looks very authentic to what that might have been, you know? Um, and I think that it obviously this, you know, the public and viewers are yeah. not stupid, right? Like if something's good, it's good for a reason. It's not just millions of people like something because, you know, just by chance. Um one thing I wanted to yeah. ask, one thing I wanted to ask you as well. I'm kind of interested to hear your thoughts on this. Do you think that all these movies, right, like Goodfellas, Sopranos, I know it's not a movie, but like a, these big kind of media outlets that have put the Cosa Nostra in the mainstream for like a certain amount of years? Do you think that that's benefited organized crime in any way, shape, or form? Benefit, I don't know. Benefit, I really don't know. I don't, I would think it makes them look cool, mm-hmm. I guess, in a way. Like, depends the way you look at it, of course. Yeah. You know, like you get some people that would, like, oh, they're just scumbags, you know, they're just, um, they're thugs, you know. Yeah. But and then you get like a guy that would be, you know, 17 and he'd be watching it or maybe 18, 19, or whatever, and he's in the cinema and he's watching it. He thought that was, that was amazing. Mm-hmm. I want to do that. Because they're not intelligent enough to think, all right, yeah, okay, you can die the next day. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, um, do I do I think they benefit from it? Maybe not financially, uh, but in terms of like in these films, they do come across as powerful, right? Like that's one thing that's always very well. Even when it goes bad in that, it always has this. I think when people see power, that's something that they stick to quite instantly. Than rather focus on other parts of the film, like we were talking about, but. I would think that they might benefit in the sense that yeah. it would be almost like the reputation 
even though it kind of fallen in the 80s, 90s with the amount of kind of convictions and indictments and all that was going on, it almost kind of got raised back up through the films in a way. Yeah, I mean, I mean that that could have been that could be true. I mean, but but do you know when the Godfather came out? Mm, yeah, the the first one was in nineteen seventy four, I think. Yeah, well, was it seventy four or seventy two? So it was one of them. Joe Colombo, the uh, boss of the Colombo family, he had something to do with that movie because I think there was meetings with Joe Colombo about this film before it was released and there was something, I saw a thing, I can't remember what it was, but it was, they were saying that Joe Colombo, he, there was things that he didn't want in it. There were certain things anyway, Joe Colombo was like, no, you can't do this, no, you can't do that, you can do this though, you know, etc, etc. So it showed you, it's kind of from there, I mean, that's a true story, so it kind of showed you how much power a guy like that had. Yeah. About, well, well, you can't do this because this is about us. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Wasn't there? So I don't know if he would have saw it that way, but uh, I know this is a kind of a bit unrelated, but it's kind of the same thing. Wasn't there like Pablo Escobar's son or nephew was like a consultant on the Narcos series or something like that for Netflix? I'm pretty sure I heard something like that. But I wouldn't surprise. I wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't yeah. surprise me at all. I mean, you know that that guy knows how his dad. Well, maybe not know how how his dad was a criminal. Mm. But you knew how his dad was, you know, the the way he would, yeah, as a person, exactly, you know, the way he would act and things he would say and sort of thing, you know. So, yeah, I mean, maybe he probably did uh, have a hand in that, I would think so. It's quite crazy, like, especially with the Godfather one, that that was probably in some of the maybe kind of needing more towards the A's eventually, but um, in terms of that was instilled in some of the prime of the entire kind of way of life that it was that powerful yeah. that it could have influence on how they were portrayed in a movie perhaps or I'd asked their for their consultancy anyway on it you know like I kind of blows my yeah. like it said like I said this is how it's in every single thing that you can think about in society I mean they were in the movie industry in Hollywood they were in uh, the music business yeah the rap all- and stuff like that yeah yeah I mean all of that I mean I think that's how Frank Sinatra ended up knowing a lot of them it was either because of the way he started music or it was where he hung out you know because you would brush shoulders with gangsters all the time you know they were always with celebrities you know what I mean um, and that's uh, and and Frank became involved with a lot of gang- gangsters I mean there was pictures of Frank at a, at a show I mean I think they were like 40 minutes late the show because Paul Castellano and Garlo Gambino were all there. There was a big picture of them. And uh, yeah, like, it was like everybody else, everybody else, there's loads of famous people there to see Frank Sinatra, right? Mm-hmm. And the only one guy that you wanted to talk to was Carlo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was just Carlo Gambino. The everybody else. Again, right? Yeah. 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 So he's got, I mean, a, a lot, I mean, obviously people around here where we come from, Unless you're, a, you know, you're into it like, you know, like we are, like where we watch all the documentaries, read articles, watch the movies. These guys, I mean, a lot of people, they do have no idea how yeah, these powerful these guys are, were. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The proper, pro- I mean, this is like more, pa- I mean, probably more powerful than the president. I mean, these mm-hmm. guys have got contacts everywhere, everywhere that, the, you know, government guys have no idea. I mean, they, they wouldn't have a clue, you well, know. And it was something that 
was uncontested, right? It wasn't something, it wasn't a position of power they'd lose in four years of not elected by the public or something like that. It was just, you were <laughs> yeah, staying exactly. there. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, I think that, I think then, you know, like if you give, for an example, if you give like a young guy, like for example, when Justin Bieber came out, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you give a six-year-old $100 million, yeah. he's going to fuck up once yeah. or twice, isn't he? Yeah. going to have a, yeah. a few hits, right? So when you give all these new guys like Roy DeMeo in the 80s and stuff, the power that these old guys built, you know. Yeah, not going to be able to handle it. it all, there's power. Exactly, they have no idea what to do with it. Yeah. So, I mean, not everybody like Roy DeMeo went mad. You know, not everybody did that, but... No, but there's a high chance that it can happen, right? Yeah, we're all human beings at the end of the day. A few few did, I mean, we're just just apes, man. That's all we are. We're just... (laughs) But not, but we're on so a ball of rock and sometimes we talk and put it on the internet <laughs> talking about these things um, <laughs> yeah but yeah I, I agree with what you're saying though right because obviously I think with obviously with like Roy DeMeo and stuff like that there was probably like roots of loose cannon kind of personal personality traits there anyway but I yeah. think you make a good point of it's like giving an apprentice at a job to build a house do you know what I mean it's like First of all, they probably don't know 100% what they're doing, but they're given a lot of responsibility and power to, you know, tell people what to do and stuff like that. And to be honest, yeah. like, I don't think anyone can look you straight in the face and say if they had that kind of power to tell other humans what to do in their kind of shape of the way of thinking of the world, that they wouldn't be mm-hmm. like, I'd probably be a bit of a dick. Do you know, like, like, it's just. Well, it's like- Remember, we were talking about what would happen if you won the lottery and you wouldn't know yeah, yeah, yeah. what you would be if you had that sort of money, right? So you always get the people, oh, I wouldn't change, I wouldn't change. Yes, you would change. Yeah. It's you don't know how to change, but you would change. Yeah, and I think like when people say stuff like that, it's recognition of fear that they don't know if like what would happen if they got that money, right? When people instantly yeah. say, you know, you know, I'm, I'm a yeah. good person. I would not do that. It's like they're fighting a battle in their head with themselves when they confront themselves with that kind of scenario almost. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's the same. I mean, a lot of these young guys, I mean, for an example, in in, um, in Goodfellas, Henry Hill obviously was 21 years old and he had all these connections, remember? Lorraine Bracco said yeah, that to him, yeah. remember? I'd never met a 21-year-old with all these connections. And... Um, And that is the way it was. Do you know what I mean? If you were taken under the wing by someone like Jimmy the Jet. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. he had... Uh, so easy when you give someone that young. I mean, I'm 27, right? I, I could just imagine if I was given all of that, like, like all of that connections, all of that money, all of that opportunities to go make money, to make a reputation for myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy was 21 years old and he was doing that. Yeah. You know, I mean, no one really ended up the way he did. And, but, and I remember the, I mean, the scene in the film that goes over that is where they're going through this fancy restaurant and literally it's like the red carpet's been doled out. They're going through the kitchen and they're getting the special table. There's been bottles sent over from someone who's already seen them. Like, Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. I yeah. Think no one can say nope. that they could go from sitting eating a microwave meal or something to that in the space of like <laughs> six months and then be like, oh yeah, I'm the same person, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you go from eating crisps from, <laughs> from crisps and steak, 
crisps to like, linguine real quick. <laughs> the Copacabana, though, I mean, that was real. I mean, that was a place where everybody went to. Yeah. You know, Hollywood spot, all right? of the guys, yeah, they'd all go there. I was, that was the place. And the, yeah. I do think it's quite interesting. Like, I remember seeing um, many moons ago when I was trying to plan a trip to New York or something. Obviously, that's kind of went all down the toilet now with the stuff that's happening in the world today with restric- yeah. travel restrictions and all that. But um, there was a bar called Rudy's or Ruddy's. I don't know how you pronounce it. Um, uh, but it was talking about its history and how like the Rat Pack and that were there. And you just think like these bars and that around New York and stuff that have all this history are places and probably hotspots where these kind of things happen. Do you know what I mean? Like it's kind of mental that like the legacy it kind of leaves behind and yeah. the, the bars recognize that as their legacy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the sad thing is, is uh, there's, there are bars there that, that, I mean, that's a good thing that, you know, that that's still there, but there's a lot of bars and stuff that was like, you know, big history and has all of this, you know, stories to tell and they're all gone now. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, there's lot, there's like that around here. Do you know what I mean? There's a lot of thing places that are not here anymore. That's yeah. just it's quite sad. But not mentioned. Yeah, there's loads particular. of places in New York I'd love to go. To. Not any. Sorry, say that again. Not any particular pubs around here. None of them across the road with a load of shit sitting outside of them and the atmosphere being a lot worse than what it used to be. <laughs> <laughs> Funny thing, is, I, mean, that, we, I mean, how many times were we in that bar? We yeah, loved that place. I just think it's like I was I, in there. I'm in. Yeah, and I think like, and I, we're kind of going a bit off topic here, but we'll, we'll promise we'll be quick. But, um, uh, one thing that kind of stands me about that is I know that some of it is a result of the like the beach bar burning down, and that that's the biggest pub and lossy aside from the beach bar or when the beach bar was there. So I know there was always going to kind of be a bit of a consequence of. You know, more crowded, more um, interesting people, shall we say, turning up to the place. But yeah, I do, I do miss that kind of local vibe that it used to have and stuff like that. It's definitely, I think, dead and buried now. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's actually more about the fact that all these, you know, youngsters get to go there and just get free range or do whatever they want. Yeah, pretty much. You know? You know, that's, that's really what it is. They just get to do what they want, and you know, the the guy that owns it doesn't give a shit what happens in there. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's a free play, it's a free playground, really, in it. Pretty much, yeah. as long as buying big trays of drinks, he don't care. Yeah. So I mean, you just have to have a look at the outside of it to see that not a lot of, um, yeah, not a lot of attention no. to details being happening. There's a lot of the like you were saying, like there's not a lot of care for what's going on. You can see it from the outside before you go in, yet alone actually going into the place. But anyway, we're drifting off topic and we're not here to talk about local establishments and we didn't name it, so don't don't be That's go Yeah. <laughs> yeah, defund the cool rebuild the beach or but um anyway so We've got about five minutes left. It's a bit of a shorter episode today. It's winter. We're kind of winding down for hibernation. Although we do have two... Before we go, we'll talk about... Um, I think we've kind of went over Bob movies and that, and I think we'll, we'll wrap up in the sense of... I think that the reason that why they are so popular is what we've just kind of discussed with the whole power complex and stuff like that just now, and the whole kind of... In our head that we would like the idea of having that amount of power without suffering the consequences, right? I think if you took yeah. the consequences out 
of stuff that gives you a lot of power, lots of people wouldn't think twice about taking it with both hands. But then at the same time, there are people that are level-headed to think, you know, there is another side and there's people like, I'll just worry about that when that comes. <laughs> and uh, um, But I think that's what the movies kind of, even to me, like one thing that I found about it is when I'm watching stuff like Goodfellas and that, not only am I enjoying like the kind of storyline and all that stuff that's about the film in general, I'm looking around at like the places, the the environments, the food, and I'm like, this looks amazing, you know what I mean? Like, this is what they're doing on, like, Wednesday <laughs> afternoons. <laughs> like, like... I think it's um, it's obviously glamorised just a little bit. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're all sitting there with lobsters and all that. It's like <laughs> on the phone the the <laughs> It's not the same thing. <laughs> uh, a typical day in a mobster's life, though, would be, like, get up at, like, Eleven and go to the social club for twelve yeah. and check in. That was where you'd sort of go in there. That would be like where your car pulled with old court, really. Yeah, which is quite quite crazy. It's very relaxed, apart from all the shooting, betrayal, drug smuggling, all this kind of. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> At least the start of the boarded cab. You know what I mean? Apart from your actual, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, apart from your actual your actual brother putting a bullet in your head. Then it's fine. <laughs> yeah, fine. If, you're exactly. okay, if you're okay with that, then you you know. Anyway, but um, so <laughs> before before we uh love yous and leave yous, uh, we have a couple. This will be the second last episode before the two episodes I've about mentioned. I've kind of butchered that. I've made it all complicated. Anyway, basically what I'm trying to say: <laughs> Christmas and New Year are vastly approaching. You know, we're not. WH Smith here, we're not going to play a Christmas ad for you and, you know, force all the kind of propaganda down your face and stuff, but we do have <laughs> a unique couple of episodes where we're actually all going to be in the studio, we're all going to be having a, a tipple of choice and um, we're not going to have any script for it, we're just going to be talking nonsense pretty much for a combined two and a half hours, but they're split up, don't worry, they're, it's not going to be two and a half hours, you have to sit down and watch in one view. Uh, <laughs> so the, the Christmas episode or the Christmas uh, night out of the northeast corners, it's called, is going to be on the Christmas Eve. It's going to be earlier than usual episodes. It'll be like two o'clock or something. It'll be linked in the Facebook page and all that. Anyway, as it always is, and the same for the New Year's one, New Year's Eve, two p.m. and stuff. So things are going to get dangerous. I think Paul's wearing a Christmas jumper, a top hat, and a monocle, so it could get very interesting very quickly. <laughs> um, Whenever Paul's on, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, let's be I honest. I, I feel like I can't be having too many drinks in case I've got to like edit an hour of the <laughs> hour and a half. <laughs> but, um, you can't say that, Paul. You can't say that. <laughs> no. For the fiftieth time, no. <laughs> anyway, we are at a close. We've just about hit an hour. Uh, it's been a pleasure speaking again. I know we've kind of went over uh, films, and we've kind of had to have a stopgap one for this series just to kind of keep uh, business going, if we will. Um, but we'll be back in the new year. We'll uh, have. Certain, I think we're, what we're going to do is we'll maybe talk about a specific hit or something, like a really famous hit next time. Um, yeah. We'll research the okay. fuck out of that, and then we'll come back in studio in 2022 and, and get it going again. But uh, it's, been a, it's been a pleasure, friend. This podcast is also available on Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and Spotify.